Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Level Up, where we discuss the most current and relevant best practices, new technologies, and staffing resources to truly level up your pharmacy career and your practice. And now, get ready to level up. Amy, welcome to Level Up. I'm super excited to talk to you. You have great reviews internally on CE Impact. Everyone was super excited to work with you. And of course, we have your live CE coming up in a couple of weeks. So I'm really grateful for the opportunity to connect and welcome to our show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, um, We are going to be focusing on mental health, specifically guiding us and teaching us on your role in your setting and what you do for pharmacy at large with the um, psychiatry association, and then also just what you do in the field or in, in the community. Um, so I'm super excited. Welcome to our show. Why don't you just start off with sharing a little bit about your background, what you do on a day-to-day basis and, and the patients you serve. Okay. Um, so I'm a board certified psychiatric pharmacist, and I'm also a tenured professor and chair of the pharmacy practice department at North Dakota State University. So that means that I wear quite a few hats. Um, I have about 17 years of practice experience in various psychiatric treatment settings. I spent the majority of the first part of my career, so well over a decade, um, on an inpatient psychiatry unit, working with patients of all different types of mental health and substance use disorders, and was part of an interdisciplinary treatment team that did treatment planning for patients when they were admitted. So I did a lot of consultation work, a lot of drug information provision, and tons of patient education. I would go into a room with 12 or 14 patients with psychiatric disorders of all different types and just field their questions about their medications and try to provide answers in ways that were true to what we know about the science, but also um, in layman's terms so they could understand and implement things once they left the hospital in terms of adherence and kind of even acceptance of their Yeah, sure. Sure. Well, that's, you know, so many people that I'm interviewing on this, on this podcast, because we're, it's relatively new, you are doing such radical things. So every time I hear what the guests are doing, what people are doing. I'm always like, oh my gosh, here I am just doing marketing. And you guys are out there changing, making direct changes to patients. And I mean, that is an incredible role. So how did you transition from that role to what you're doing today? So today I'm in a clozapine clinic at a community mental health center for patients who are indigent typically. And I transitioned out of the hospital and actually went through a whole year without practicing right at the start of the pandemic. And then I actually reached out to the community mental health center because I was like, I don't want to be teaching pharmacy school and teach pharmacy students about psychiatric pharmacy. If I'm not doing it anymore, it yeah. just, it just didn't feel Feels good weird. at all. Yeah. Plus I love yeah. caring for patients. I love working with patients. I feel like I learn as much from them as they might learn from me. And so that two way street is something that I really missed and was really yeah. wanting to do. So it's, it's really nice that I'm in academia. So they don't, the clinic doesn't have to pay me. So I can be there on, as a consultant and I work with the psychiatry residents who are the prescribers for clozapine in that clinic. Wow. And then I do a lot of like drug information for them, helping them manage some of the non-psychiatric the medical, um, medical residents that, that might be on the person's regimen when they're adjusting psychiatric meds too. So Right. So are you working with medical residents? Well, yeah, they're residents that are going, so they already have their MD. They're going to be psychiatrists. Oh, okay. So yeah. psychiatrist medical residents. I wasn't sure yep. if you work with pharmacist residents too. Not now, except for in a mentoring them for teaching capacity. Sure. Okay. Got it. Okay. 
So how did you land in this mental health, this whole umbrella expertise that you're in now? It was sort of serendipitous, honestly. When I was an undergrad, I was a triple major in chemistry, biology, and psychology, mostly just because I was kind of interested in those things. But then when I graduated from pharmacy school, I did a residency, and I knew I was kind of interested in academia, but I was thinking more cardiology, honestly. (laughs) And then during my residency, I found out that the position that I'm in now was being vacated. The person who had been in it for a long time was retiring. And I was talking to one of my mentors about that the position and the person who'd been in it for a really long time, who I really admired. And I was like, who are they going to get to fill that position? And my mentor was like, why not you? And literally that question changed the course of my life because I then was able, back then PTY1 residencies were not nearly as structured as they are now. And so Mm -hmm. I was able to do four more months of psychiatry than when I was a PTY1. And the rest is history kind of, I've just, um, been involved with and had a passion for caring for patients with psychiatric disorders ever since. And I always tell people that I feel like in a lot of areas of life, I have a tendency to kind of root for the underdog. And, And I feel like people with mental health and substance use disorders in so many ways, because of the way our society and our, our healthcare systems and everything are set up, people who have mental health disorders often end up being the underdog a lot. And so I really feel like, it's a great opportunity to be able to empower people, advocate for them, come alongside them, all that kind of thing. So it's very rewarding. Yeah. You, it's funny that you bring up the underdog because um, before we started recording, you shared with me about your foster failure. <laughs> your dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a very serendipity. Speaking of serendipity, you, you do root for the underdog by like fostering and then you kept this dog. So I love that story. (laughs) I love it. Um, Okay. So share with us what what you think the pipeline consists of for pharmacy in the mental health space. Like where, where do you envision us going and, you know, where are we today versus where do you think we're going? Yeah. So that's a really complicated question, but one that I think is going to see a lot of dynamic changes over the next few years. I don't know if you're familiar with the ASHP pharmacy forecast, but they do a panel um, analysis of kind of what are trends and where do we expect to see things in pharmacy, especially health system pharmacy, but beyond that also in the next five years. And the most recent um, release of that that work, the 2023 pharmacy forecast, 79% of the panelists um, agreed that the Demand for pharmacists with advanced training in mental health will likely increase for the next five years, 79%. And then 63% said they did not think that health systems are currently prepared to meet the increased demand for psychiatric service provision in the pharmacy or in their pharmacy um, enterprise right right at this point. So I think there's going to be a lot of growth or at least a lot of demand, whether we can supply the resources that are needed to meet that and, and achieve that growth. I don't know. I I'm a little concerned, honestly, because I feel like the training that is given for generalist pharmacists in pharmacy school is, is a great foundation, but until Mm -hmm. you, I think get some experience or at least um, maybe get some mentored experience in caring for patients with psychiatric disorders, we know that there's just a lack of confidence on the part of pharmacists who haven't gotten a little bit more training in this area. Mm -hmm. So I think there's tons of opportunities, so it's really exciting. I just hope we can capitalize on it and really step up to help care for 
people in need the demand. That that ASHP survey was specifically obviously because they're geared towards health system pharmacy practice. So that's mostly you're we're talking about inpatient growth. <clears throat> right. So there's a shift. Well, inpatient or am care because ASHP focuses on ambulatory care as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Since so many health systems have clinics that are you true, know, true, true, true. And so where do you think, wow, that's huge. So where do we think that this mental health crisis is coming from? Not that that really pertains to pharmacy so much, but in general, where is the large uptake coming from or the large yeah, growth? I, I think, so you're asking the growth in or the demand? patient population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think the pandemic created yeah. issues in so many ways, both with access to care and then social isolation and kind of breakdown of the way society operated you know, that created a lot of challenges for people who already had mental health conditions, the control of them became worse, but then also it created a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear and a lot of depression for people who hadn't previously experienced those things. And then they also didn't have great access to care during the pandemic. Um, We also read a lot about the impact of social media and it's kind of impact on self-esteem and self-perception and that can contribute to a lot of increases in depression and anxiety as well and and substance use disorders too the same goes for those conditions as well so we're thinking the uptake that large percentage the need or the demand with these for taking care of these types of patients is what type of patients are they i mean are they are they having what requires an inpatient or an ambulatory care visit um these types of patients it's pretty across the board. They're, they're patients with really any mental health condition you can think of. Substance use disorders we know are very undertreated. Something like 70% did not get treatment for opioid use disorder when, they, when it was indicated for them in the last okay. year or two. Wow. So there's a huge gap in what is needed and what can be provided. Or maybe in some cases, it's even what patients are seeking you know, sometimes they're not seeking care, but they probably really need it. So there's, there's work to be done on opening the doors for people so they feel like they can come in and get care. And that has to do with reducing stigma. We know that stigma on the part of healthcare professionals is a really big barrier to help seeking behaviors by patients. So I think we need to get the message out that we're welcoming and we're not going to judge people and we're going to meet them where they're at and we're going to walk alongside them and help them never, whatever way we can. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a loaded, that's a loaded task. I mean, um, even amongst the healthcare professionals, there's a stigma of yeah. mental health issues yeah. amongst that's each other. That's one of my, my research areas actually is stigma toward mental health and substance use disorders on the part of healthcare professionals. Really? Well, tell mm-hmm. us more about that. What does that entail? So in some of the work that we've been doing with opioid use disorder um, prevention, and we're working on kind of upstream interventions at the community pharmacy level, so that anybody who comes into the pharmacy with an opioid prescription, the pharmacist has a conversation with them, screens them for their risk for opioid harms down the road, and then educates them about, you know, because you have these risk factors in your background, you're actually at higher risk of developing opioid use disorder. Um, mm-hmm. And so we want we want pharmacists to be empowered to impact the relationship that a person has with an opioid right from the time they first encounter an opioid mm-hmm. so that they're aware of what could happen and how they can prevent that from happening. 
Um, so as we've educated pharmacists to do that, we've also built in some stigma assessment and stigma reduction content. And we've found, I mean, the literature is filled with examples like this. I'm only speaking about pharmacy right now, but that that pharmacists and mental or other healthcare professionals do carry a stigma about, especially substance use disorders, but other mental health conditions as well, but is modifiable. And once they gain experience with, for one, how to communicate in non-judgmental ways, even some yeah. of the words that they use, how those can come across and make people feel distanced from sure. them, um, they, it can be very impactful then to those people just thinking about the way that they talk and kind of some of their intrinsic reactions when they work with people and modifying those, how much that really helps create relationship and um, helps them feel like they're able to create a more welcoming environment for the patients that they work with. Right. I know that you are doing the depression guideline updates for our pharmacist by design membership in the, couple, in the next couple of weeks. I'm just curious in these guidelines, do they talk about those types of word phrases or is it mostly like a clinical guideline? This guideline was very clinically focused and did not talk much about stigma at all. Um, but mm, the Shatterproof that's... site and movement, I don't know if you're familiar with Shatterproof, they have a lot of resources about stigma-free communication and non-judgmental approaches to patient care and things like that. So it's a really good resource if anybody's interested. Yeah, we can link that in, in the show notes for sure. What do you think... Okay, so do you think that the role of the community pharmacist can shift alongside of this large demand for ASHP type pharmacists or inpatient or ambulatory care pharmacists? Absolutely. And I would even argue that our profession is obligated to see how we can do that, how we can shift that role a little bit. Um, one of the things that I talk to my students about when I'm teaching them about antidepressants, especially, is that those medications are, they're challenging to take for patients. They often feel worse before they feel better when they start taking an antidepressant. And the pharmacist is such a key person who can help educate the person, the patient about what this is going to be like, give them realistic expectations about what an antidepressant is going to do in the short term and versus the long term, because those are two very different things. Help coach the patient through the time at the beginning where it takes a long time for the medication to start working give them tools to cope while they're waiting. I mean, it doesn't have to be that the pharmacist is an expert in those tools, right. but can at least provide some resources, including things like um, digital health tools that are an app to help manage um, major depressive disorder symptoms and track them. It is a fact of well-researched that pharmacists in the community really struggle with time management and they're just pushing or trying to get the prescriptions out the door. And so I'm just curious, you know, do you come across pharmacists that struggle with that? Um, For sure. They want, sure. To coach. they want to coach, but there's this, is there enough time? That's the issue, right? Yeah. I, I totally hear that argument. And my dad has been a community pharmacist for 45 years or so. So I've worked in and around community pharmacy since I was a little kid, actually. But I guess I would argue and this is easy for me to sound all philosophical about this, but I mean, we went into this profession, all of us, in order to help people and become uh, a resource for our patients. And so I would, I would challenge us all to prioritize that whenever possible. And I know that's not always possible, but whenever it is, that, that is something we should prioritize in connecting with our patients, helping them understand what to expect from their medications. And if you think about it in a business sense, 
if someone is starting on an antidepressant and they're filling it at the pharmacy, paying their copay, et cetera, and it goes badly and they don't like how they feel on it and they stop taking it in the first three weeks of that they, that, you know, mm-hmm. that they're supposed to have been taking it longer. That's loss of income for the pharmacy too. If they don't come back to refill the prescription repeatedly, you know, so there can be ways right. to build in that coaching so that it is helping to grow the bottom line as well. No, you're not wrong. I mean, if someone isn't feeling uh, an effect or it's helping or, or actually the opposite, it's making them feel worse. The likelihood of them coming back for adherence or for return, assumingly is low. Right. Exactly. So it's kind of putting in the upfront discussion, the upfront coaching, having those tools to communicate and build that relationship and build that trust with the patient. That's so that's a unique experience in itself and can prevent further issues down the road, but also for an incentive, incentivizing each patient to come, to come back. Right. Talk to us a little bit about the American Association of Psychiatric Pharmacists. I know that you've mentioned that you're the president. So what exactly, what is that? Uh, what is that organization? What are the goals there? And what do you do as president? Sure. So the American Association of Psychiatric Pharmacists is the national professional home for psychiatric pharmacists. And we have members that are board certified psychiatric pharmacists and also members that are not board certified psychiatric pharmacists. And we focus on um, best equipping psychiatric pharmacists and the profession of psychiatric pharmacy to help to create access and improve quality of care for patients with mental health and substance use disorders. Um, What do I do as president? Uh, It seems like I attend a lot of meetings and um, (laughs) interact with a lot of members. And some of the the things that we're focusing on now are um, advocating for some of the things I've just been talking to you about as far as the importance of the role of a pharmacist being part of every patient's care who has a mental health or a substance use disorder in order to provide that coaching and realistic expectations and um, side effect management information and all that kind of stuff so that in the end, the outcome for that person can be better. And there's data that show that that's the case when a psychiatric pharmacist is involved, that outcomes are better. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of, conver- we're having a lot of conversations with people at the national level, um, groups, as well as regulatory groups, SAMHSA and um, uh, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services as well to try to tell that story and kind of remind those groups that by not paying pharmacists the, the competitive rate that they might deserve for doing this kind of work and improving those kinds of outcomes, we're actually lowering outcomes overall. Right. Right. So um, you are coming back to CE Impact in a couple of weeks, which we are really excited to have you participate in the live CE. Tell us a little bit about like a glimpse of what you're going to be sharing. So this depression guidelines, is this an annual update? No, I don't believe it is. I think it's a release of a more updated literature review over the last, I, I couldn't even tell you exactly how many years, but it, I would say it's probably at least five years of um, review and it's got some it's got a fair amount of information about making antidepressant choices for patients Mm -hmm. so if they've been they're new to antidepressants what might we consider what are the evidence-based options if they have started on an antidepressant 
and that's not getting them to remission, then what might be the options for their next steps in terms of modifying their antidepressant therapy? And it includes some recommendations about non-pharmacologic therapy as well. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a huge pipeline opportunity for us coming out of the pandemic and making sure that our clinicians are up to speed and up to date on what's available in terms of medication management and also non-pharmacologic issue, non-pharmacologic uh, resources too. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a great win-win for pharmacists who are looking to up-level their uh, mental health medication management side. So I'm super excited to have you in. I know the team is really looking forward to this kickoff. We've been talking about this internally for, for a couple of months now, and we are really excited to have you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for your time. And I'm going to link all the show notes or all of the, all the different areas we talked about today. So any resource will be available in the show notes and a way to message Amy. And I appreciate your time, Amy. Thank you. It's really great to meet you, Ashley. Yeah, you too. Take care. Hi, Jen here. I'd like to personally invite you to become a pharmacist by design. Being a pharmacist by design means you're striving to be the best version of yourself not just as a professional, but as an individual dedicated to improving patient care outcomes. You can learn more about Pharmacist by Design at ceimpact.com. And when you use the code LEVELUP, you'll get 10% off an already great rate for all the education you want. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week as we help you level up your pharmacy practice.